The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomabete on SAFM. Ms. LeBlanc, good evening. How are you? Good Good afternoon, Songhezo. I am doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for always agreeing to be part of our very illustrious members of the greater public who share their thoughts. Very measured, might one add, on matters in this instance of global importance. So let's talk about what the sentiment, the mood is like in Washington, particularly where the change will be taking place. And we'll have an idea, at least in about some 48 hours from now, what is happening in the race for 1600 Pennsylvania. Yes, um, certainly. Um, as you know, um, this year is like no other um, time in our history. Uh, we're um, in the middle of a global health crisis, and, um, and candidates um, have to still campaign and, and garner support um, for their uh, various um, agenda, uh, policy proposal, um, should I say. Um, so it, it's been a bit challenging because you see um, there are folks who um, traditionally would have gone to um, the voting booth to vote, and instead, um, in, an, in an effort to curb um, this, um, this virus, um, they uh, voted through absentee ballots, um, right? So you have um, tons of people, millions of people, who have done so um, in such measure. But also, uh, we saw there is a great number of young people between the ages of 18 um, to um, 25 who have voted um, in unprecedented numbers. And I think that is because um, in 2016 what we saw is that um, a lot of the voters, um, the young voters were alienated because their candidate, um, Bernie Sanders, um, was essentially, in their opinion, robbed of the nomination. And instead they were left with Senator Hillary Clinton, who was not appealing to a lot of those folks who supported Bernie Sanders. Um, so, but right now this year, uh, what we're seeing is that um, with Joe Biden as the um, as the nominee for the um, for the Democratic Party, um, there isn't another candidate um, that the, the Democratic Party preferred over Bernie Sanders at this moment. So, therefore, I think a lot of the Democrats have um, rallied behind um, Joe Biden, and, and of course, the folks that they alienated in 2016. Um, now they're, they're voting for, for, uh, for, for Joe Biden. So right now the national polls are showing that uh, he is leading in, in the polls. Uh, but um, it, it might be a close call. I mean, even when you look at um, specific states that are critical to this election, like um, Florida, Texas, uh, California, uh, New York, and, and so on, he's also leading in those states um, for the exception of, of two states um, out of all of the of significant um, states that one is required to do exceedingly well, and that, and that is because um, with our electoral college, you don't win an election in America merely by popular votes. You win an election by having enough electors, which you need a total of 270 to win an election. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to uh, President Trump in 2016. Um, so people are kind of skeptical about what would happen um, this year, but the polls are showing that um, Bernie, I mean, Joe Biden is leading as of right now in the national polls.
Many issues you've raised there. Our guest this evening, Ms. Joanna LeBlanc, national security and U.S. foreign policy expert, legal analyst, a graduate of the great institution there in 8th Street at the George Washington University. Ms. LeBlanc, you mentioned something quite important, which just doesn't affect the U.S. politics, but affects global politics, the question of the youth vote. We know there's a great amount of voter apathy. In fact, the majority of those who could have voted in the last national general election did not vote, even though Hillary Clinton walked away with a popular vote, as you've correctly mentioned, the Electoral College is important. Why do I think that the fact that more young people than ever before have now registered and indeed voted more favor Joe Biden as it might Donald Trump? Would that be a fair assessment of things? Well, how it's done in America is that um, you have pollsters. Um, they go around and they do polls with, with certain groups of people. And those polls are showing that those folks um, lean more towards um, um, uh, um, uh, um, Joe Biden. Now, if um, um, Trump were to win this election, I think that um, the entire system that we have in place to um, ascertain who would um, most likely to win a presidential election will need to be revisited. We will have to look at how we conduct things in America, because right now um, the polls are saying that those people are are, are supporting um, Biden. And and I think this year's election, unlike um, other elections, um, is mainly about the COVID-19 pandemic. How has it been handled? And as we see, the United States, the most powerful country in the world has been impacted by this virus like no other nation in the world. And, and it boils down to not because the United States like resources, um, lack of sciences, lack of infrastructure, lack of the, 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 the medical profession, right? It, it, it's because one could argue lack of leadership. And, and, and this virus has led to um, the, the, the crumbling of the American economy, uh, where Thousands of people have lost, have lost their jobs, and over 200,000 people have died in this country, and over 8 million have been infected with this virus. So people going to the polls, they're thinking about the economy, they're thinking about the jobs that they've lost, they're thinking about how things could have been handled differently to mitigate the damages. Now, we can argue that um, no one could have prepared perfectly for a pandemic such as this, because America has never dealt with anything on this level. In fact, no, the world has never dealt with anything on this level. But you can mitigate the damages, and that is done through great leadership. You know, there's this line that is repeated in many quarters, the greatest nation on earth, and there's always reference to America. Can I poke holes into that argument? And before I do so, perhaps I might just engage some of the listeners. Johannesburg, 714-2006, please call us. That's the only way you can engage with the show other than, of course, sending your messages via our Twitter account because all our other systems are unfortunately down. They will come back at a time I don't know, so I'm not going to tout the WhatsApp facilities until I know for sure they are up and running. Ms. Joanna LeBlanc, foreign policy and national security expert, is on the line based in Washington, D.C., Greatest nation on earth, America, yet a quarter of the world's prison population 
is America, and 60% of that population is black men. There's a question in relation to criminal justice system there. You have every so every 10 years or so the change in constituencies. That's called gerrymandering, which is just a manipulation of the political system's stroke constituencies to have those who are in Congress, be it at Senate or the House of Representatives, keep their positions. That's why you've got a guy who's two meters away from his grave in Mitch McConnell still there. Nancy Pelosi, the same thing. These people are over 70, some of them even 80 years of age, contesting politics with the likes of an AOC who is there, who's got fresh ideas, responding to the original question that America now has to answer, being stifled out of it. You mentioned the fact that this is an unprecedented pandemic. It's true for every nation, but just how America has responded to it is testament that they are not the greatest nation on earth. They are technically bankrupt. They have been technically bankrupt, and they've got a president who is the kind of president we're all talking about. Surely America cannot be the greatest president. It doesn't matter which indicator you use. And this is as good a time to at least bring some credibility to the great nation that America thinks it is in correcting something at the polls. Is that not obvious? I, I, I agree with you, with you Songhezo. I think there are some fundamental challenges uh, within the American system, uh, the, the justice system, the education system, all sectors of, of, of the of the American society, um, and but 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 we can do better as, as a nation. Um, and I think um, you um, perfectly articulated. Um, you have um, folks who are senior citizens leading the country, where you have um, fresh ideas and, and new and and and, and young talented bright um, um, people who can who can who can lead uh, but but it goes back to why Trump was able to win in 2016 because he was able to tell the American people listen these people have been in power for decades I mean you have people uh, in Congress who have been elected for over 30 years right um, and, and you have someone like Joe Biden who's been in politics for over 40 years as well so Trump said, look at me, I am an outsider. I bring something different to the table. And, and the reason why, at the end of the year, um, because the reality is that in America today, as we speak, if a child were to be born in poverty, that child is more likely than ever before in, this, in the history of this country to die in poverty. That is unacceptable, considering the fact that America is the leading nation on all fronts, democracy, human rights, uh, education, you name it. Uh, it's, it's unacceptable. So Trump was able to say that I am here. I am a, a successful businessman, and I will bring those ideas, and I will drain um, the swamp, which he calls um, the, the nation's capital, and I will change how things are done to ensure that at the end of the year, a year after you've worked so hard, you can take a vacation with your family, and you can actually pursue life, liberty, liberty and happiness. And he was able to appeal to those people. And to be frank with you, Trump has kept every single one of his promises. Um, when you look at immigration reform, whether you agree with them or not, whatever he told his base, he has done, he has, he has uh, uh, um, held his, his part of, uh, of the deal, right? Um, which is why, um, you know, when it comes to your more educated folks um, who are having a hard time with some of Trump's rhetoric, you see the administration has used um, Pence to go out and speak to those individuals because Pence, He's an intellectual. He is a what you call a, a um, an establishment politician, um, sort of say. So he's able to speak the language of your your intellectuals in America who may not be quite comfortable 
with, with, with Trump. Uh, but nonetheless, they would listen to, to Biden and, and they will have faith in him. Yeah, well, Mike Pence's record, or at least his previous career in the media, does help. And the fact that he's a lawyer by training certainly does help in terms of making sense of otherwise senseless arguments, senseless politics. I absolutely do not agree with the notion that America has got great A, B, and C, because where it matters most, a majority of Americans are vulnerable, vulnerable to the capitalist system. That's why within the early days of the pandemic, as many as 30 million people were unemployed. They were relying on these government grants and subsidies. They cannot build a pension base that allows them to go to hospitals and live a life in retirement that is worth a semblance of dignity unless you fall in the minority top half of America. And this is precisely why this election is important. America's DNA, as Biden tends to say, is on the ballot there. On the basis of Trump having achieved what you refer to as all his election promises, but this is exactly what the world had feared some four years ago. Surely there cannot be a repeat of that in the light of what we have seen when the pressure cookie really is on in Washington. The U.S. political system has been unable to respond. That's why we've got as many deaths and cases in relation to coronavirus and the fragmentation of approach between the federal government and the states. Yeah, and and, and I think furthermore, um, black and brown people have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. And it is not due to their failure to follow CDC guidelines more than any other group, but rather because of decades of social, economic, and political marginalization. And and we, we have to have this conversation. I think that this virus has exposed so many vulnerabilities within our our American system. Uh, when you look at, um, because of the virus, folks have to resort to online schooling, um, students. Um, and, and you see that there is a, a great segment of the American population who do not have access to Internet or even a laptop. That is unacceptable considering the status uh, of this nation. But I think that we should also have a discussion about uh, U.S. foreign policy as it pertains to the United States States, um, uh, uh, upcoming election, which is going to happen on Tuesday. Uh, What would that mean for South Africa? What would that mean uh, for trade and bilateral relations uh, for for the Rainbow Nation? Mm -hmm. Well, you have actually said this before, and you had said it is especially critical at this time where South Africa gets through to known lobby organizations in Washington who, when the administration, if it does change from Trump to Biden, who there have an ear with the incoming administration. And so as it sets out its policies for the next four years until 2024, there's an audience that's ready there to take on the South African narrative because we know what little Trump has said. It has been largely disparaging if one looks at his tweets in relation to the land question that he had said he would get Mike Pompeo to come and sort out. Neither of them have been to this country. And if anybody between the two of them, Joe Biden knows exactly the South African question, given the fact that in the 80s, he's on record in Congress having made a case out for why U.S. intervention was necessary. And he's been here. So at least from a foreign policy perspective, South Africa is more likely to get receipts from Joe Biden than Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, you you know, right now, um, what what I can tell you is that, um, um, you know, the GOA um, policy, Mm -hmm. which... Um, African nations um, take advantage of, and, 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 and in particular, as it relates to um, South Africa, 
Um, in 2018, um, according to the Office of the United States Trade Representative, under AGOA, trade and services with South Africa, uh, that includes exports and, ex- and imports, totaled an estimated $4.9 billion. Um, and services um, exports were $2.9 billion, uh, where the United States also enjoyed um, a surplus of $887 million in 2019. And again, this is just South Africa. Um, so, so I think we're going to see uh, more of these um, types of, of trade um, agreements between the continents and, and maybe even specific countries. Um, for example, under um, the, the Trump administration, you have Prosper Africa, where um, over well, roughly $60 billion has been allocated to uh, make it easier for the private sector to do business across the African continent. And currently, um, $8 billion has been put out, has been um, used um, for business ventures and and so forth. And and there are um, over 38 projects, existing projects, on the African continent. Um, So so I think that um, um, when when it comes to foreign um, policy, um, I I, I think um, His Excellency Nana Aido from um, from From Ghana Ghana Mm -hmm. made it very clear that Africa is not interested in being a continent where um, that is consumed with humanitarian aid, but more so a continent um, uh, where we can engage in trade relations with, with, with other nations. And, and where other nations will look at various countries on the continent as strategic partners more than anything else. Let's talk about more on the African issue. Let's talk more about the U.S. issue and the relations there. But let's also get back onto the election rhetoric. After the break, we continue the conversation with Ms. Joanna LeBlanc, National Security and U.S. Foreign Policy Legal Analyst. Immediately after the break, we will go to Colin in Cape Town. Should there be another caller, we will go to that caller so that we can have Ms. LeBlanc respond to the comments and questions coming from people's homes. 011-714-2006, that's the number to dial After the break, we carry on with Joe. SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. Song is on SAFM. And you're online. Colin? Hello? Parat Asabliphon's Leicester. Hello? Colin, ons luister, plaat asjeblief. Oh, als <laughs> wanning was die Afrikaans kan van. Hello, Jagezo. <laughs> Hello, Colin, how are you? Ah, um, I would like to ask your guest, before this COVID-19, uh, I was watching the world news and things like that, so and so, and uh, Trump was seemed to be doing exactly what he said he was going to do, what he wanted to do, you know what I mean? Uh, increased um, and um, the unemployment. He created work and things like that. But um, and he did what he wanted to do. But now it looks like um, the whole problem is now the way he's handled this COVID epidemic. You know what I mean? And I think that's where he's lost a bit of his his um, popularity. Fair enough. Your thoughts? Well, I would like to. I would like to just talk about that. How was he doing before the COVID? Thanks a lot, eh? 
Very well. Thank you so much indeed. Trump's record before COVID, let's assume COVID was not at all a factor. How do you think then he would be received by the electorate in relation to his track record? You have alluded to the fact that his election promises have been his administrative wins. Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, if we did not have COVID, uh, I think we will say for certain that Trump will be reelected. That's just the honest truth. Because the economy was not doing too bad. Now, whether that we can credit it to um, the efforts of the previous administration, which was the Obama administration, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but the economy was doing fine. The, the private sector uh, was doing okay, and he had um, in, um, entered, um, he had made it a bit tougher. Uh, for, for folks um, to, uh, for, for foreign nations rather, um, to do business in, in the United States and, and ultimately made it easier for American companies to, um, to, to, to thrive. Um, so, so honestly, but for this COVID, I think that we will be having a whole nother conversation. But another thing, if Trump, let's just, just say Trump were to get reelected, um, there's another conversation we're not having. That is the United States Congress. Um, because right now, under the leadership of Mitch McConnell, uh, Trump has been able to do a, a lot of, he has been able to uh, uh, ensure that his um, priorities and his policies are pushed forward. Um, and as we see with, with Mitch McConnell, his biggest focus has been the judiciary, right? Um, they've, um, the, the Republican Party has appointed over 200 federal judges. Um, and, and, and now recently, uh, um, the Trump administration appointed one, one recent judge. And whether Trump wins or not, he's definitely going to change the course of America's jurisprudence unless um, the Democrats were to expand the United States court system. Three judges in four-year administration. That must be some record. Neil Gorsuch, 2017-2018. Brett Kavanaugh, 2018-2019, or whenever that was. And, of course, Amy Coney Barrett. So, you're right. Jurisprudentially, Donald Trump is going to stick around for quite some time. Let's listen to a couple of voice notes that have since come through, and then we will wrap up the conversation with Ms. Jonah LeBlanc, National Security and U.S. Foreign Policy Legal Analyst. Evening, Songhez. You know what? I really, really wish Trump can get re-elected for the drama and shock, especially for media like CNN. I really want to see them shocked with all their predictions and whatever. I want Donald Trump to get re-elected for the drama and the shock. Thanks. Well, the reason why there's silence here, I'm trying to get my technical producer to have his piece because this previous voice note could quite easily have been that of my technical analyst. Sworn Republican, he has his membership. Every other day he is showing me something about Donald Trump. I wonder what it is that is so appealing about it's, it's Donald Trump. Donald Trump is appealing to a lot of people um, because the, uh, Donald Trump is like that uncle that you have that shows up to the barbecue and says whatever is on his mind with no filter. The reality is, in particular when it comes to American politics, the American people are just not used to this level of engagement from the president. Um, um, Donald Trump um, can speak with the, to the average person, uh, in particular the people that the Democratic Party and even the Republican Party has for, for a very long time alienated because they're focusing on your educated folks, your intellectuals, right? Um, so, so Donald Trump is a pee and, and believe it or not, the guy is hilarious. <laughs> but I think you've mentioned something which is quite important, which is often 
for whatever reason, not talked about. The sense of entitlement Democrats have to the presidency is precisely why, one, Hillary Clinton did not do well in the Electoral College. A couple of swing states that she didn't bother making herself available at during her campaign trial. I think Joe Biden has learned from that. But you do mention something quite important. The Democrats, a lot of the time, from my own analysis, which is not by any measure credible, tends to think it knows what the American people want and doesn't give them, certainly as Trump has, the kind of open space for them to express themselves the way they do. Of course, Trump has taken it to a whole other level with KKK coming through in strong support of him and strong right wing and white supremacy elements coming through. But at least in relation to free speech, you've got probably, in my thinking, more of that with the Red Party than you might with the Blue Party. Wrong? Right? Thoughts? Absolutely. And I think that the Democratic Party uh, really needs to, um, and I think they've done that this election cycle, you know, you know tap into um, those, those Trump voters, those Trump supporters to see what what, what is it that makes um, Trump um, so appealing to them. But let, let me make one last note before we get off. Sure. Um, so, so if Trump were to get reelected, there is a 70 percent chance that if not more that the that the republicans will lose the senate and there is a a an 85 percent chance or, or more of um the the, the republicans uh, i mean the democrats keeping having control over the house now as a president um our american system is uh, filled with checks and balances you have the executive branch you have the legislative branch and you have the judiciary which each three are independent of, of each other but nonetheless as a president if you are a republican president and you have a Democratic-led Senate, it will be almost impossible for you to be successful. And that's what happened to um, President Barack Obama in his second term. He had a Republican Senate, so therefore a lot of his policies could not be pushed forward. They were blocked. Final comments, LeBlanc. Head on the chopping line. Are we going blue or are we going red? You, you know, that is a really good question. The national polls indicate that uh, Biden is, 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 is winning. Uh, but we shall see on the day of the election what really happens. So um, I think it's going to be a shocker to everyone. I see you voted. What for you was important as you put your ex next to the candidate of choice? Uh, for me, uh, it was mainly uh, it was foreign policy, obviously, as a foreign policy guru, uh, someone who, who loves, um, who understands the importance uh, of of uh, strengthening um, bilateral and trade relations with the with the rest of the world, um, and, and also I voted on um, employment. I voted on when it comes to uh, uh, edu- education, when it comes to a student loan crisis. As someone myself who who holds so many degrees, and I'm I'm in debt. That's just the reality, right? So I wanted a candidate that will provide some kind of relief um, to that for me, um, and, and also I want some kind of. Um, Sanctity, um, sanctity and professionalism back in the, in the White House. I couldn't tell for the most part where you were leaning until you had said what you have just said. Sanctity in the White House. Joanna LeBlanc is my take. She voted blue. Joanna, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, John Gizzo. <laughs> it's time for news with Greg Close. Thanks, Joanna.